On this prequel episode, we've got I Know What You Did Last Summer fan poll follow-up. We're learning about F. Scott Fitzgerald and previewing The Great Gatsby. Hello and welcome back to this film. This is the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's another prequel episode, the prequel to our back to school special, even though most people are already back to school. Yeah. But it's, it's but roughly it's early fun. September. Close enough. Which is school time. Close enough. We're recording this on Labor Day, which is the traditional back to school holiday or time of the year. Yeah. So. At least in America. The holiday is not about going yeah. back to school. Holiday is no. about <laughs> unions fight for labor rights. But <laughs> the time of year, it coincides I don't even know if that, I don't actually know what the, I think that has something to do with what Labor Day is about. I've never looked into the history. I know people talk about it. Yeah, yeah. It has something to do with labor rights and stuff. Anyways, I'm a bad leftist. So Uh, we can pretend that we have those today. (laughs) We've got a lot to get to, so let's get right into it with our patron shout outs. We have no new patrons this week, but we do have our Academy Award winners, and they are Paul Kat Ensminger, Ben Wilcox, Jeff Niederhofer, Ian from Wine Country, I don't even know what I did last summer, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Eli Young's Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby Says Black Lives and Trans Lives Matter, V Frank, and Alina Starkov. Thank you all so very much for supporting us at the $15 Academy Award winning level. We appreciate it, and we thank you, and we will get back to thanking you again in two weeks so there we go the end let's go ahead and find out what people thought about i know what you did last summer yeah well you know that's just like uh your opinion man so on patreon this time we had two votes for the movie and one for the book diane takaki said while both the book and the movie are definitely relics of their time, I have to go with the movie simply based on my own bias and nostalgia. I was 18 years old when this movie came out, the same age as the characters in the movie, and watching it again after all these years made me remember how fun and silly the teen slashers of the late 90s were. I understand why Duncan didn't like her somewhat serious thriller was turned into a slasher film, but the 70s mentality of her mostly awful characters wouldn't have translated well in 1997, just as they didn't translate well in the revised 2010 edition of her book. There was nothing fun or entertaining about this depressing book, and that's why the movie only had one job, to entertain. Roasted. And it did. (laughs) Hot hot damn. (laughs) Roasted. And Scorch Pilot Vinny said, I think they're both good. It's really a toss-up, but what I, I but I like the book a little more because I just really value a story that you can solve within reason. There you go. And, it, you know, it was a tough call for me, too. I talked about it, obviously, in my final verdict. But I, I don't think it's wrong to say that if you lined it all up, the book is probably better at storytelling. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that could be fair. On Facebook, we had one vote for the movie and one for the book. Ian said, Always have a lot of time for Lois Duncan. Back in middle school, I spent a summer going through her books. Really enjoyed them all. The the nonlinear storytelling from the book was a choice that worked. Reminds me of Agatha Christie's Five Little Pigs. I don't suppose Topher Grace can give us the book edit of the film. And speaking of the film, I'm not at all surprised Lois wasn't a fan and indeed phoned her family not to watch it. 
I'd be horrified if my baby got turned into a slasher film without telling me. Maybe you can explain this to us in a learning things segment, why Hollywood sees something they must have liked in a script or novel by the rights and then turn it into a form of former shadow of itself. I don't know. This is just conjecture with this particular one. Well, I with almost... this one, I think it's pretty obvious why it turned up into what it did in this particular I mean, instance. It was following a trend of the time. Well, so it, it, we talked about in the prequel episode, the screenwriter for this wrote this this film or this screenplay uh, prior to writing his big hit. Yeah. Scream. Right. And then Scream came out, made a bajillion dollars. Yeah. And so, so they're was, like, let's yeah. make his other movie that's a, also a similar thing. Now, I don't know if his original, I didn't see this detail, if his original take on the screenplay was, so like when he wrote the original draft before Scream, I don't know if that was also a slasher film. Like if the version we got was similar to his original draft or if his original draft was more true to the book, you know what I mean? I, mm -hmm. We don't know that. Right. And if maybe after Scream was really successful, they're like, okay, let's take that screenplay you wrote and turn Make it into it a, more like, more like Scream. Scream. Yeah. And maybe that's the case. Who knows? But it, in this instance, it's, I think it's very clear that because of Scream, that's, yeah. and just following that trend. Yeah. The money following there. that trend of the time. Um, I also wonder if part of what they wanted was the title because it's a great title. Yeah, it is a good title. It's a good hook for a title. Yeah, that could be that could be part of it as well. But like I said, I think I think it has a lot to do with just scream. No, and, yeah, and, and I agree. since like we said, the screenwriter being the same and everything. Yeah. Um, Ian went on to say, as a slasher film, it's fine if you don't take it too seriously. Personally, I'm Team Michael Myers all the way. All in all, on its own merit, the film stands well, but against the book, call me a purist, but it fails. Also, Jennifer Love Hewitt not knowing how to swim whilst living in a coastal town doesn't surprise me. The number of crew on ships that don't know how to swim, higher than you think. Wild That's wild to me. That's really wild to me. <laughs> I think the thing that was really wild to me in the movie wasn't so much that like maybe she doesn't know how to swim, but that she doesn't even seem to consider jumping off the boat an option. Yeah. Like, I am not a good swimmer. <laughs> I would probably drown if I tried jumping off the boat in that scenario. But I think I would still try it. Yeah. Like, I, I think I was well, still... Well, because also at the point where where she has the option, aren't didn't they just leave? Yeah, the, they're, like, they're, they're not still far pretty from, close. Yeah. I like, I'm even not being a strong swimmer, I still think I'd be like, hmm, stay on this boat with a, a homicidal maniac yeah. with a hook for a hand. Or I, I guess the only thing is yeah. jump in the water and take my chances trying to get to shore. I mean, the other I'm going to try the water. If you're not a good swimmer, he would probably just turn the boat around, park, and just be waiting for you on the shore by the time you got... You would have to be a pretty good swimmer yeah, to get so. there in a way... in a, At a speed in which you would be able to get away. Like, I think I could probably... Like, with where she was, I think I probably could have done it. But I'm a pretty good swimmer. Like, I've swam my whole life. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I get... Yeah, I get it. Yeah. It's... You would think that would be something. And I get... That does blow my mind, the, the idea that, that a, a significant amount of people don't know... That would live on and work mm -hmm. on boats and stuff wouldn't know how to swim. I guess it also depends, I guess, a little bit maybe in a place like that up on the northeast where it's not nice, super warm all the time. Like you don't have as much to yeah. swim as much probably. Yeah, maybe. You know not. what I mean? It's like a colder climate in general. 
And so they're maybe they don't do it. I mean, they still would. It's like during the summer, you'd still have plenty of time to go to the like whatever. I don't mm-hmm. know. It is interesting. On Twitter, we had six votes for the movie and two for the book. Matthew Mundy said, The movie is quintessential 90s slasher gold. The characters may be as archetypal as they come, but that's what makes it great to me, in my opinion. I agree with you that the reveal of the killer is impossible to suss out, but the WTF moment of that reveal is chef's kiss. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, it's impossible. But, it, it, you know, you can do that still. I think and it can work it's just yeah. it can be a little like it's i just like wanted it, anything yeah it just would have been a little just better had anything. they like planted anything even if it was still this crazy twist that you're like oh it's that it doesn't even like even then but at least if we had seen the character before you know what yeah. i mean like even just the crumb of like having seen the guy once or something yeah would have been more again and i think my my recommendation during the episode was just have him be one of the crew and maybe he is in the background of a shot or something like when right. they're on the docks but like just have him be one of the people on the crew that uh that freddie prince jr is working on yeah and just have like one interaction with them that's all i I don't even that would be at least like oh there's at least somebody we know but and i did want to touch back real quick on the the learning to swim thing i think that i always forget and think about is that it is you do have to learn to swim and there is a, a privilege that comes with that in terms of like yes. having access to swimming lessons and because it's not just like I mean, people across all different um, sort of, you know, income levels learn how to swim in different ways and stuff like that. But you do have to have the access. And I guess my point was like in a coastal town, you would think they have the access. Most of the people Mm -hmm. would have access to the water and stuff. And she also seemed to come from a relatively like affluent. Yeah family relatively speaking because like i i I do have to remind myself that like the fact that i grew up in a town where like we i i was able to take swimming lessons every summer for like i think free or relatively inexpensively as part of like a city Mm -hmm. thing is not 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 a routine experience for everybody necessarily so kelly napier said i've never read the book but it wouldn't have mattered if i had sarah michelle geller is a queen and can do no wrong (laughs) hashtag team movie fair enough (laughs) big smg fan matt nelson large cartoonist at large said book i have a vague memory of reading and enjoying (laughs) this as a kid never saw the movie as i don't enjoy slasher films and your description of the killer's motivation made it sound muddled still a guy in a raincoat and with a hook is a good visual so i'll give the movie a point there yeah i i even think the movie didn't they did a pretty good job i think they could have even utilized the, I think yeah, they could have utilized it that more, more yeah. uh, and turned him into an iconic sort of slasher character on on the level of something like a Michael Myers or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, not the movie's not as good and that sort of thing. So, like, it was never going to be, like, as iconic as, like, Jason or, or right. Michael Myers. But I think... But I think visually... Visually, they could have... Yeah. It, he has a strike... It's a striking character. And I think if they had utilized yeah. it a little better with I mean, some like, better, yeah, like, it, reveal like shots and stuff. Yeah, which it's not... Some good you're ones, right but. that it's it's not as good of a film as like Halloween or Halloween or um, I, I actually don't know. It might be better than Friday the 13th. I've never actually seen <laughs> Friday the 13th. I've seen Halloween. Halloween's very good, but, um, but I know. think you're right that if they had utilized that visually a little bit more, it could have been, he could have been like iconic in the sense that like he occasionally will show up alongside yeah. those other characters. Yeah, and he doesn't at all. Yeah. Like, like, you know, you, you go to a Halloween store, you'll see Michael Myers costumes, you'll see Freddy costumes, you'll see Jason costumes. You won't see 
the, the, the hook guy the hook from guys. I know what you did last summer costumes, <laughs> which is funny because like you said, like like Matt said, it is a, it is a visually it's very sort of visually striking. striking, and it would be easy to do yeah. too. All you need yeah. is the rain slicker, raincoat, the hat, and the, and the hook. That's it's three things. Yeah. 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 Shelby Suderman said, "I was looking forward to seeing how the movie did the twist in a visual medium. Turns out the twist was they didn't." <laughs> Honestly, the movie lost me the first time the dead guy stopped being dead, and I think the only way I could have picked it over the book is if it had been about 90% more tiger. <laughs> Maybe the thing they did last summer was feed someone to a tiger. Maybe the tiger's after them now. I don't know how the tiger wrote the note, but in this movie, it wouldn't have been a huge stretch. Bottom line, don't put cool animals in your production <laughs> logos. Now I'm distracted and your movie has to compete with that. It's the MGM lion all over again. Fair enough. I will say, at least the MGM lion looks like a logo. Yeah. The one at the beginning of this just straight no. up looked like we were jumping into yeah. the movie with a tiger. Yeah, it's just a tiger in the jar. Like, it's very, not not nearly as obvious that it is a logo. Yeah. Whereas MGM, it's pretty clear. Um, for my, I don't remember exactly how it starts. It does start closer on the on the line and then pull back. I think to the logo. I could be wrong. It might just start with the line, but still, it starts on. The, it's a framing of the shot of the line in a way that doesn't feel like something necessarily yeah. that would make sense in a movie. I I think it's it's definitely. I can see what she's, what Shelby's saying. I think it's something you have to go into this movie with a very specific mindset of knowing mm -hmm. what it is ahead of time and being ready to just watch a dumb teen slasher movie yeah. like. It is what it is, and I enjoyed it for that. It's not a good movie, but it is fun. And yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where you landed with your final verdict. On Instagram, we had six votes for the movie and two for the book. Marvel Book to Movie said, When I first saw Dead Meat's video on this movie, I heard that it was loosely based on the book. I checked it out and read and watched the movie afterward, and I favor the book over the movie a little more because it deals a lot more heavy, heavily with the ac accident with the little boy and a lot more mystery to it. I love the film as a slasher film, but as an adaptation, I think the book wins for me. That's, yeah, that's fair. I think yeah. yours, yours was along that. Your, your, your final verdict ended on landed on the side of what did you enjoy more? Yeah. Not like, is it a good adaptation yeah. necessarily? And I, I mean, honestly... It's, it's not a good adaptation because no. <laughs> it's not an adaptation right. of that source material. Like, it's just not. Yeah. But I did have more fun watching the movie yeah. than I had reading the book. And um, I enjoyed, I think it was Diane and our Patreon comments talked about, yeah, the characters in the book are yeah, all awful. Just not, like, good. The, not a redeemable one in oh, the bunch. Really, yeah. I mean, Julie's okay. Yeah. But like, other than that, I was like, dear God, please someone kill these children. Yeah. Um, and but, yeah, you like in everybody movie, in the movie yeah, in other the movie, than. They're all, they all have their moments yeah. at least. And like, like, what's his name's the worst? Uh, Barry. Barry's the worst. Yeah. yeah but even but he, even he has, even redeeming he has redeemable moments. Yeah. But 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 like the other three are all relatively, you know, they're they're kind of archetypal, dumb, un, like annoying. But they but they are they seem like good people stuck in a bad situation. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to yeah, it, what it sounds right. like from the book. Whereas like in the book, I was like, oh please let Barry be dead <laughs> yeah. when he gets shot, and then he wasn't, and yeah. I was like. Bleh. We couldn't have killed Barry. Yeah. Yep. What was the final uh, final tally here? And the winner of our listener polls was the movie. 
with 15 votes to the book's six. I think this one was definitely one that came down probably on the side of people had seen the movie yes. and not read the book. Yes, or at for... least recognized right. the movie. Yeah. We, and we also did get a lot of comments when we announced this episode yeah. to the tune of, oh, I didn't know this was based on a book. Yeah. So I think a lot of people just weren't familiar with the But book. we did get a fair amount of comments and follow-up of people who had read the books yes. as kids. So that's, or, you know, when they were younger. So that's cool. Um but yeah, I think this one definitely probably won on name recognition mm-hmm. more so than an actual like comparison of the two properties. Yeah. Like in the final boat here. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Cool. All right. It's now time to learn a little bit about the author of The Great Gatsby, F. Scott Fitzgerald. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Francis Scott Key Fitzgerald. So he is named after that guy. Yes. I was wondering, well, and I saw F. There Scott. is a whole section on Wikipedia about all the different people he's named after. His, yeah. His parents, like, cribbed from a bunch of different, like, relatives and things. But, yeah, we... When he, I see F. Scott, Scott. Yeah. When I yeah. see F. Scott, I was like, okay, is he named after the Star Spangled Banner motherfucker? Yeah, he is. He's it, Francis, it Francis Scott Key Fitzgerald. Yeah. Because um, isn't the Star Spangled Banner guy? It's Francis Scott yeah, Key, right? Francis Scott Key, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, we know him as F. Scott. Uh, he actually went by Scott yeah. for most of his life. For so. non-American listeners, if you don't know, the person who wrote America's na- current national anthem, The Star-Spangled Banner, is it's based on a poem written by Francis Scott Key. Yeah. So there you go. I like how you say current as though it'll ever change. Uh, it should change. It the should. The national anthem sucks. But it's not going so yeah. many, For so it's many a reasons. It's national for anthem so many for reasons. a lot of and, different and, and reasons. And it's just every possible reason. It's terrible. But yeah. Anyway. So uh, this F. Scott Fitzgerald was an That Amer- was a hopeful current. That was a, <laughs> that it was a hopeful. hopeful current. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. Uh, He was an American novelist, essayist, and short story and screenwriter, best known now for his novels depicting the flamboyance and access of the jazz age, a term which he actually popularized through his writing. Excess. Excess. Yeah. You said access. Is that not what I said? Well, it sounded to me like you said access, (laughs) and I was trying to make sure that didn't Flamboyance and... Excess. excess. Okay, I just I was like, does excess of the jazz aids mean something? Like, I was wondering if that no. meant something, like their access to like drugs. Or, I was trying to like figure out what <laughs> access meant, and then I read the note, and I was like, excess. Okay, okay. <laughs> During his lifetime, uh, he published four novels, four collections of short stories, um, one hundred and sixty-four short stories. Although he achieved uh, temporary popular success and fortune during the nineteen twenties. Uh, he would receive critical acclaim only after his death and is now now widely regarded as one of the greatest American writers of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. A little bit more on that later. Okay. Born into a middle-class family in Minnesota, Fitzgerald was actually raised primarily in New York. He attended Princeton University but later dropped out and joined the U.S. Army. Part of the reason for that, um, we'll call it a lifestyle switch, was Fitzgerald's failed relationship with wealthy Chicago socialite Genova King. All right, I'm seeing some some seeds you're being set some, here. For... You're seeing some similarities? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the two met during Christmas break of Fitzgerald's sophomore year and began a romantic relationship that would span several years. Although Genova was in love with him, 
Her upper class family openly discouraged the relationship because of Fitzgerald's lower class status. Mm. And her father purportedly told him that, quote, poor boys shouldn't think of marrying rich girls. It's just not how it's It's done. It's not how it's done. So after being rejected by uh, Ginerva's family because of his lack of financial prospects, a suicidal Fitzgerald enlisted in the United States Army, uh, mid-World War I. Great. <laughs> great time. Great time if you're <laughs> suicidal is to enlist uh, who, in the United States Army during <laughs> any of the world wars. Who is commissioned as a second lieutenant. While awaiting deployment to the Western Front where he hoped to yep. die in combat. I mean, odds were not. I mean, a, and, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a hell of a roundabout way to commit yeah. suicide, but. You know, there are worse ways. <laughs> <laughs> so he was stationed at Camp Sheridan in Montgomery, Alabama, which is where he met uh, Zelda Sayer who was one of the most celebrated debutantes of Montgomery's exclusive country club set. And after learning that Ginerva, or is it Ginevra? It's Ginevra. Yeah, it is spelled Ginevra. It is spelled well, Ginevra. but earlier you had it Ginerva. Hold on, I'll Google it. Yeah, Google it. Because your first writing of it had it Ginerva, but then the, the ones since then have been Ginevra. I might have just flipped that on my own. I don't know. I'm Googling. Uh, it is... It is Ginevra. Ginevra. That's how it's spelled, okay. at least. I don't know. I assume so that's how it's pronounced. I apologize for my earlier mispronunciation. Yeah. It is Ginevra. Ginevra. Yeah. Uh, so after learning that Ginevra had married a wealthy Chicago businessman, Fitzgerald asked Zelda to marry him. What was that guy's him. name? Didn't happen to be Tom, did it? <laughs> I don't think so. I think it was Bill. Okay. Which is kind well, of... Equally it's, it's similar, like yeah. Same similar, genre same of genre name. of white yeah. guy names, Tom and Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Zelda agreed to the marriage proposal, but postponed their actual marriage until he became financially successful. This guy just needs to, he needed to stop (laughs) trying to get with rich girls. Yeah, stop, dude. There's plenty of other women out, people out there that aren't, (laughs) that that don't have made up, uh, socialites not a thing. I mean, I know it's a thing, but it's socialites. the, The idea of socialites is such a strange thing to me. Anyways, I'm sure we'll talk about it more. But So following many unsuccessful attempts to procure the type of lifestyle that Zelda was used to, Fitzgerald finally struck gold with the publication of his first novel, This Side of Paradise. Uh, an instant success, This Side of Paradise, sold over 40,000 copies in the first year. And within months of its publication, his debut novel had become a cultural sensation in the U.S., and F. Scott Fitzgerald became a household name. And I want to pause right here and acknowledge that I am glossing over a lot in order to make this a concise (laughs) segment. I could do a whole segment just on Zelda. Could also do another whole segment just on their relationship, which was tumultuous at best. Mm -hmm. Um, It should also be noted that Zelda kept extensive diaries, which provided quite a bit of material for Fitzgerald's fiction, sometimes to the point of plagiarism. Nice. Like he would he would crib entire lines, this guy. Fantastic. Um, Again, I'm trying to be concise with this segment and give it a little bit more focus. But trust me when I say that Zelda Sayer is worth the time spent on a Wikipedia rabbit hole. I already. Yep. 
I just yeah. Googled her, and uh, <laughs> she died at 48, so I'm sure there's a story there, but yeah, looks like uh, an interesting mm-hmm. an interesting uh, little deep dive could be done. Anyway, um, following the birth of their only child, Francis Scott Scotty Fitzgerald, the family moved to New York, where Fitzgerald would be inspired to write The Great Gatsby. More on that later. They would also spend time living in various locations across Europe, as well as in Hollywood. Zelda was diagnosed with schizophrenia in June of 1930. The couple traveled to Switzerland, where she underwent treatment at a clinic. With the onset of the Great Depression, (laughs) a great way to start a sentence always, uh, Fitzgerald's works were deemed elitist and materialistic. Uh, With his popularity then greatly decreased, Fitzgerald began to suffer financially. His extraordinarily heavy drinking also undermined his health by the late 1930s. Uh, Although he detested screenwriting, (laughs) Fitzgerald's dire financial straits compelled him to accept a lucrative contract with none other than MGM. Oh, okay. The Lion logo company itself. Uh, Indeed. Uh, In 1937, that then necessitated his relocation to Hollywood. Um, During that time, he actually worked on um, Gone with the Wind. I was on, yeah. Which was uh, kind of the only notable film yeah. that I, I saw that he had worked on. Yeah. Um, I might be wrong about that. I might have missed something. Yeah. But there are uh, a lot of movies yeah. from back then that we that, that, that may have, have been kind more of, prominent yeah, that you don't have faded a, into yeah, obscurity. But, um, but the deals. yeah the big one that I recognized right. was Gone with the Wind. He did a little bit of work on that. Uh, apparently he was pretty bad at script writing though, <laughs> uh, often ignoring the rules and including descriptions that were more fit for a novel mm, okay. than a screenplay. Yeah. Uh, the sudden death of Fitzgerald's mother in the late 1930s and Zelda's mental deterioration led to his marriage disintegrating. He would see Zelda for the last time on a 1939 trip to Cuba. Um, and they were estranged from that point on. Um, he began a relationship with a Gossam columnist named Sheila Graham um, following his kind of the dissolution of his marriage, so to speak. On the night of December 20th, 1940, Fitzgerald and Graham attended the premiere of This Thing Called Love. As the couple left the theater, a sober Fitzgerald, he had been sober for about a year at that point, a sober Fitzgerald experienced a dizzy spell and had difficulty walking to his vehicle. And they were being watched by onlookers, and he remarked to Graham, I suppose people will think I'm drunk. (coughs) The following day, Fitzgerald ate a candy bar and made notes in his newly arrived Princeton Alumni Weekly. Graham saw him jump up from his armchair, grab the mantelpiece, and then collapse on the floor without uttering a sound. Um, So laying there on the floor, he gasped, lapsed into unconsciousness. She tried to revive him and couldn't, so she ran to get uh, Henry Culver, who was the building's manager, and upon entering to try and assist, Culver stated, I'm afraid he's dead. Fitzgerald had died of occlusive coronary arteriosclerosis. Occlusive coronary arteriosclerosis. Arteriosclerosis. 
at age at, yeah. at age forty four. I assume it's some form of a heart attack, essentially. Yeah, what I it think so. Like. That's what it sounds like. Occlusive coronary artery. That sounds like blocked arteries in the mm-hmm. heart or near the heart would be my guess. Yeah. Forty four years old. Yep. Also, probably a smoker. I would imagine. I would everybody imagine so. Yeah, was, pretty and, much and everybody was. A lot of heart disease when yeah. you're smoking as much as they were. <laughs> And um, also, as I mentioned, yeah. a very heavy drinker for most, for of, his most life. of his life. Yeah. yeah. That that jazz is excess. At the time of his death, Fitzgerald believed his life to be a failure and that his work was forgotten. The few critics who were familiar with his work regarded him as a failed alcoholic. Sounded like he succeeded as an alcoholic, but... (laughs) Failed alcoholic. Um, The embodiment of jazz age decadence. His New York Times obituary hailed him as a brilliant novelist, but deemed his work to be forever tied to an era, quote, when gin was the national drink and sex the national obsession. It could do worse (laughs) for an era. Yeah. (laughs) There are worse worse. eras. (laughs) Now, of course, we know that not to be the case now, um, but I'm going to talk more about that in my next segment. Uh, Fitzgerald's works inspired a number of contemporary and future writers, obviously. Um, Some of those include T.S. Eliot, Charles Jackson, John O'Hara, Richard Yates, and J.D. Salinger. Donald J. Adams, a columnist for the New York Times, remarked upon the tremendous influence of Fitzgerald upon his contemporaries, stating, in the literary sense, he invented a generation. Echoing these opinions, writer Adam Gopnik asserted that, contrary to Fitzgerald's claim that there are no second acts in American lives, Fitzgerald has become not a poignant footnote to an ill-named time, but an enduring legend of the West. There you go. Well, that's nice. Yeah, that is nice. Let's go ahead and learn a little bit more about his most famed and notorious work, The Great Gatsby. New York, 1922. The tempo of the city had changed sharply. The buildings were higher. The parties were bigger. The morals were looser and the liquor was cheaper. The restlessness approached hysteria. Shall we? Who is this Gatsby? Do you know him? War hero. Mr. Gatsby doesn't exist. Gatsby? What Gatsby? I beg your pardon, Mr. Gatsby would like to speak to you alone. The Great Gatsby is a 1925 novel by F. Scott Fitzgerald, who we just learned about. The novel was inspired by, can you guess? (laughs) What? (laughs) A youthful romance Fitzgerald had with socialite Ginevra King and also the riotous parties that he attended while living on Long Island's North Shore. Fitzgerald began outlining the novel in June 1922, um, and then it kind of sat for a little while. In October of the same year, the Fitzgeralds moved to Great Neck, New York, on Long Island. Uh, Their neighbors in Great Neck were all considered to be nouveau riche, Mm. um, unlike those who came from Manhasset Neck, which sat across the bay from Great Neck. 
and was home to many of New York's wealthiest established families. They have new money. Yeah. Nobody likes new money. Oh, no. New money is gross. Yeah. Gauche. <laughs> While living on Long Island, the Fitzgerald's enigmatic neighbor was Max Gerlach. Gerlach had been a major in the American Expeditionary Forces during World War I. He later became a gentleman bootlegger who lived like a millionaire in New York. Gerlach threw lavish parties and never wore the same shirt twice, used the phrase old sport, and fostered myths about himself. And I love the sources that I looked at would all be like, he was the inspiration for Jake. I'm like, it sounds like he just, he just was, was Jake Gatsby. Gatsby. This dude just wrote an autobiography. It just wrote a, yeah, and then just like changed names around. He just around. changed his name. I love That's it, the thing. Though. Fuck yeah. it. If you're if you rich enough and live an interesting enough life, you can just write that down, and then yeah. it becomes a great American novel. Cool, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, during this same time period, the daily newspapers sensationalized the Hall Mills murder case over many months. Um, the highest, highly publicized case likely influenced the plot of the novel. The case involved the double murder of a man and his lover. Mm. Mere week that happened mere weeks before Fitzgerald arrived in Great Neck. Um, so there's again, they call it like speculation, but it's pretty obviously Fitzgerald based <laughs> certain aspects yeah. of the ending of The Great Gatsby on various characterizations of this thing that actually happened. Right. But, you know, it is one of those things where, like, if you don't have a source where he actually wrote, like, I was inspired by right. this thing you that happened. Yeah, you can really only make assumptions and say, like, well, we're pretty sure he yeah. was inspired by this. Inspired by what was happening around him, Fitzgerald had written uh, around 18,000 words for his novel by mid-1923, but he ended up discarding most of that. Uh, some of that early draft would resurface in a 1924 short story called Absolution. In earlier drafts of the novel, Daisy was named Ada, and Nick was named Dud. 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 <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and the two characters had shared a previous romance. Um, and if I'm remembering correctly, I think they're like cousins or something in the published novel. Huh. These earlier drafts were also written from the viewpoint of an omniscient narrator as opposed to being in Nick's perspective. Uh, another key difference in earlier drafts is the less complete failure of Gatsby's dream. Fitzgerald had difficulty choosing a title for this novel. He entertained many different choices before reluctantly deciding on The Great Gatsby. Some discarded titles included Among Ash Heaps and Millionaires, On the Road to West Egg, Under the Red, White, and Blue, The Gold-Hatted Gatsby, and The High-Bouncing Lover. Well, uh, the first two <laughs> of those aren't terrible. Among Ash Heaps and Millionaires and On the Road to West Egg, I think are both okay titles. Mm. Like, those are the only two that, of, of those that, that stick out to me as, like, I could see that working under the red, white, and blue. Ugh. I feel like that doesn't tell me anything you about what this novel literally is about. nothing. The gold-hatted Gatsby is just a worse version of the Great Gatsby. <laughs> it's just it's just a wordier, yeah. worse yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yeah. needed to be edited down version of the Great Gatsby. 
and the high bouncing lover is it mm. again i feel like that doesn't quite convey to me no. what this novel's about and maybe among ash heaps and millionaires is too too much it's a little long on the road to west egg is pretty good I think it's a pretty good title from my memory of what happens in, mm-hmm. <laughs> of the things and the some of the like uh, symbolism and stuff in the book. I feel like that's not a terrible name because it does. It gives you it it, it, it it implies something happened on the road, on the to, road West to West Egg, Egg, which right. That is. I yeah. believe that's where. Yeah. Yeah. Um, spoilers. Uh, we'll get to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah, I, I think that title would be the other one that I would be like, all right. But, yeah, Great Gatsby makes the most sense. Yeah. And he finally settled on The Great Gatsby after both his editor and his wife expressed a preference for it. There you so go. listen to your editor and your wife <laughs> is the moral of that story. Good, good moral. <laughs> the Great Gatsby received generally favorable reviews from literary critics of the day. Edwin Clark of the New York Times felt the novel was a mystical and glamorous tale of the jazz age. The New York Post described Fitzgerald, Fitzgerald's prose style as scintillating and genuinely brilliant. The New York Herald Tribune was less impressed, referring to The Great Gatsby as a literary lemon meringue that nonetheless contains some of the nicest little touches of contemporary observation you could imagine. So light, so delicate, so sharp. See, I, I was about to say, literary limb meringue, that sounds delightful. That's, the, that's <laughs> not a critique. And then they go on to describe why it's a meringue or lemon meringue, because it's light, delicate, and sharp. Hmm. But those all feel like good things. Was I that mean, a negative I, review? I think, the, I think the idea here is that it's something that's like kind of light and fluffy and doesn't have a it lot doesn't of have substance. doesn't have a lot of substance. That's fair. I think that's what dessert. they were going it's not for. A main yeah. Course. Okay. Uh, Despite this, Gatsby was a commercial failure in comparison with Fitzgerald's previous efforts, This Side of Paradise in 1920 and The Beautiful and Damned in 1922. With the onset of... This motherfucker out here (laughs) writing writing a a soap opera title before before the soap operas were ever a thing. That would make sense that a lot of soap operas pulled inspiration from this era. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. Because the beautiful and the damned is just yeah. straight up a silver title. <laughs> and as I mentioned earlier, uh, after the onset of the Great Depression, the Great Gatsby became regarded as little more than a nostalgic period piece. By the time Fitzgerald died in 1940, the novel had fallen into near obscurity. In the wake of Fitzgerald's death, a strong appreciation for the book gradually developed in writer circles. But it wasn't until a little later that it would turn into the cultural touchstone that we know it as today. In the spring of 1942, mere months after the United States' entrance into World War II, an association of publishing executives created the Council on Books in Wartime with the stated purpose of distributing paperbacked armed services editions to combat troops. Hmm. The Great Gatsby was one of those books. There you go. It was popular with the troops, and by 1944, a full-scale Fitzgerald revival had occurred. (laughs) Um, Full-length scholarly articles on Fitzgerald's works were being published in periodicals, and by the following year, the earlier consensus among professional critics that The Great Gatsby was merely a sensational story or a nostalgic period piece had effectively vanished. By 1960... 
35 years after the novel's original publication, the book was steadily selling 100,000 copies per year. Renewed interest in it led to the New York Times editorialist Misener to proclaim the novel was a masterwork of 20th century American literature. By 1974, The Great Gatsby had attained its status as a literary masterwork and was deemed a contender for the title of The Great American Novel. By the mid-2000s, many literary critics considered The Great Gatsby to be one of the greatest novels ever written, wow. and the work was part of the assigned curricula in the near majority of yeah. U.S. high schools. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that was why I made it part of this I mean, back to school thing. I mean, mid-2000s, that's when we were in high school, and, and yeah, you think I, we you're, both read you're it in hard high pressed to find somebody who didn't have to read this yeah. book in high school. Yeah, I mean, of the three we did, I had read, I, in high school... I read uh, Great Gatsby. Well, I think I read um, To Kill a Mockingbird in middle school. but I read it in middle school and then again in yeah. high school. Um, the only one I didn't read was The Outsiders. Just I did read of, that one by in luck middle of school, yeah. the classes I was in. Because um, I know other people in my high school did for different classes, mm-hmm. but just the ones I was in, whatever, we didn't. But um, but yeah, Great Gatsby, everybody read The Great yeah, Gatsby. Yeah, and then I read it again in college when I was briefly an ed major. Yeah. I read it in like a... a secondary classroom literature class so as of early 2020 the great gatsby has sold almost 30 million copies worldwide continues to sell an additional 500,000 copies annually numerous foreign editions of the novel have been published the text has been translated into 42 different languages and I also think it's appropriate to be covering this novel right now because its U.S. copyright actually just expired on January 1st oh, of so this year. so you can go get a f- public access version of yeah. it. Yeah, there you go. It's probably on the Wikipedia page or something, it's right? In public, probably... It's in public domain yeah. now, baby. I was going to say, if you just go to its <laughs> Wikipedia page, you could probably just read it on there. Or like there's probably like a PDF you can download or something. <laughs> The Great Gatsby provides a critical social history of prohibition area. The Great Gatsby provides a critical social history of prohibition era America during the Jazz Age. Scholars and historians have noted that the narrative renders a full image of the period, with Fitzgerald using many 1920s societal developments to tell his story, such as flapper culture, libertine moors, and the economic prosperity that the era is known for. In Fitzgerald's eyes, the era represented a morally permissive time when Americans of all ages became disillusioned with prevailing social norms and obsessed with pleasure-seeking. And we remember too, we're we're fresh off of World War One and Spanish influenza yes. in this era. Yep. So everybody was out living it up. Yep. The novel's major themes include the American dream, class permanence, race and displacement, sexuality and identity, and technology and environment, all of which I'm sure we'll touch on during our discussion. Yep, yep. The novel has also been accused of anti-Semitism due to its use of Jewish stereotypes, uh, particularly one of the novel's supporting characters is Meyer Wolfsheim, an allusion to real-life Jewish gambler Arnold Rothstein, uh, who is a notorious New York crime pin. Um, and this is this is right from Wikipedia. I had to include this part verbatim. <laughs> whom Fitzgerald once met in undetermined, undetermined circumstances. circumstances. 
Um, again, this is something that we'll talk more about once I've had a chance to revisit the novel. Fun. It's been 10 years since I've read this. I don't yeah. remember that character at all, so I'm guessing he's not in much of it. I know it's been longer than that because I read it in high school, and yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't remember that character's name. It doesn't jump to my head. And aside from the 2013 film adap- adaptation that we will be watching, The Great Gatsby has also been adapted for stage, television, and radio, as well as other films in 1926, 1949, and 1974. There are also a handful of video games that oh. use the story as a jumping off point. There you go. All right. Speaking of the 2013 film adaptation, let's go ahead and learn a little bit about The Great Gatsby. The film. I'm certainly glad to see you again. I'm certainly glad to see you as well. When I made the pleasure of Mr. Gatsby's acquaintance, I discovered a man of fine breeding. Very interesting. Everything all right? Oh, yes. You always look so cool. The man in the cool, beautiful shirts. She has to tell him she never loved him. I've just heard the most shocking thing. It all makes sense. Will you come once more? We need you. I wish we could just run away. Mr. Gatsby, sir. Not now. As we just mentioned, The Great Gatsby is a 2013 film written and directed by Baz Luhrmann, most known for Strictly Ballroom, Romeo Plus Juliet, Moulin Rouge, and Australia. And the film was also co-written by Luhrmann's writing partner, Craig Pierce, who also uh, co-wrote Strictly Ballroom, Romeo Plus Juliet, and Moulin Rouge. I'm saying Romeo plus Juliet. It's Romeo and Juliet, but it's the one with the plus. It's the one with the plus. It's the Leonardo DiCaprio one. People need to know it's the one with the plus. Yep. It it definitely lets you know if you've seen that one, which we watched that in high school uh, at one point after reading Romeo and Juliet, uh, or at least excerpts from Romeo and Juliet. It's, um, you know what you're getting into with a Mm Baz Luhrmann film if you've seen that movie. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Because Baz Luhrmann's movies are all kind of like that. Uh, the film stars Leonardo DiCaprio as Jay Gatsby, Tobey Maguire as Nick Carraway, Casey Mulligan as Daisy Buchanan, Joel Edgerton as Tom Buchanan, I- I- Isla Fisher. Is that how you say it? I, think I thought Isla, it was Isla. Isla. Isla Fisher as Myrtle Wilson, Jason Clark as George Wilson, Elizabeth Debicki as Jordan Baker. It also stars Callan McAuliffe, Jack Thompson, Amida. Mm, don't know how to pronounce that. Amida Bakan. Bakan. He's Indian. I looked up and then I couldn't figure I couldn't find a pronunciation for his name. And I was like, that's the problem. I think with trying to find, I don't trust it's spelled the pronunciation guide that I see online. Yeah. It's spelled a M I T a B H Amitab, um, Amitab. And then there's two C H's B A C H C H A N. I don't know. Mm. I'm sorry. And Adelaide Clemens. The film has a 48% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 55 out of 100 on Metacritic, and a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. So mm. general audiences definitely enjoyed it more than critics. The film made $353 million against a budget of $190 million, which is not a huge 
for that size of a budget, if you include advertising, that's not a huge, didn't make a ton of money. Mm. Uh, probably m- close to making its money back, but didn't make a ton of money. In order to commit to the project, in September of 2010, Boz Lerman moved himself and his entire family from Australia, which is where he's from or where he was living at the time, uh, to Chelsea in Lower Manhattan, which is where he actually intended to film The Great Gatsby. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a minute. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was the first person cast in the film, reuniting with Lerman uh, after their work together on Romeo uh, plus Juliet. I think it was the first time they had worked together since then, although they did work on a TV show together, The Boys something or another. Mm. I can't remember what it's called. And I don't remember if that was before or after Romeo and Juliet. Uh, So at one point... We got some fun casting stuff here. Reports linked Amanda Seyfried to the lead role of Daisy Buchanan in October of 2010. But then the month following that, Deadline Hollywood would report that Lerman had auditioned numerous actresses, including Amanda Seyfried, Kira Knightley, Jessica Alba, Rebecca Hall, Blake Lively, Abby Cornish, Michelle Williams, and Scarlett Johansson, as well as considering Natalie Portman. So a veritable who's who. Yeah, a real who's who of that time uh, period. Of actresses from the 2010s. And there was, I feel like, definitely like a look he wanted, like yes. a, a round face, kind of like round heart-shaped face kind of yeah. look. Uh, yeah, Keira Knightley has a little bit more of a... Yeah, so not all of them have like super round faces, yeah, but there's definitely... Severe face, but yeah. Yep. Some of them, I think, would have looked too modern. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Carrie Mulligan makes a lot of sense, Mm -hmm. but we'll we'll get into it. Uh, On November 15th, Boz Lerman announced that Carrie Mulligan had been cast to play Daisy after reading for the part uh, in New York. She got the role shortly after Lerman showed her audition footage to Sony, uh, the executives, uh, Amy Pascal and Doug Belgrad, who were super impressed by the actress's command of the character. This is an interesting story. Mulligan actually burst into tears after learning about her casting via a phone call from Lerman, who had informed her of his decision while she was on the red carpet at an event in New York. Lerman said, quote, I was privileged to explore the character with some of the world's most talented actresses, each one bringing their own particular interpretation, all of which were legitimate and exciting. However, specific to this particular production of The Great Gatsby, I was thrilled to pick up the phone an hour ago to the young Oscar-nominated British actress Carrie Mulligan and say to her, hello, Daisy Buchanan. End quote. That's cute. In uh, 2011, April of 2011, Ben Affleck was apparently in talks about playing the role of Tom Buchanan, but had to pass due to scheduling conflicts with Argo. And Bradley Cooper had also previously lobbied for the part of Tom Buchanan, with Luke Evans also being a major contender, Hmm. which would have been interesting. Yeah. Uh, Because Tom eventually falls to, uh, isn't that Toby? No, he's Nick. Uh, Joel Edgerton. Joel Edgerton, which, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I was about to say, going from Toby, Ben Affleck, Bradley Cooper, and Luke Evans to Toby Maguire doesn't make any sense, but no, to Joel Edgerton Toby Maguire makes a lot of sense for Nick. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. There was a, I think I have a quote about that later. Um, da, 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 da. So despite initially wanting to film in Manhattan, as I mentioned earlier, and moving his family there, uh, director instead opted to shoot principal photography in Sydney, so apparently moved back to Australia. <laughs> uh, filming began in September of 2011 at the Fox Studios in Australia and finished in December 20, uh, December of 2011 with some additional shooting in January of 2012. The film was shot with, uh, this is fun de- technical details, film was shot on red Epic digital cameras and Zeiss Ultra Prime lenses. Uh, for any of our film nerds out there, the Valley of the Ashes uh, scenes, uh, the desolate land between West Egg and New York, was shot in Balmain, New South Wales, 
and a Manly Business School in Manly, known as St. Patrick's Seminary, doubled as Gatsby's Mansion. Hmm. Nick's house was located in Centennial Park, and Daisy's house was Go and Bray. Go, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. Uh, Go and Bra. Go and Bra. It's because it's Irish, right? Or Scottish, probably. Um, uh, a historic mansion at the King's School in Parameda, Parramatta. Uh, so this is interesting. The long-destroyed Beacon Towers, and if you go to Wikipedia and search Beacon Towers, you'll find the, the building, a really cool-looking building, uh, was thought by scholars to have partially inspired Fitzgerald's um, original idea of Jay Gatsby's estate, mm. uh, uh, and that was actually used as the main inspiration for Gatsby's home in the film for the design of it um, when they went about creating the um, exterior of Jay Gatsby's mansion, although they did also use... Um, a college building from the International College of Management in Sydney as part of the filming for the exterior. I think they then um, did some CG yeah. tweaking to make it look a little bit more like the original Beacon Towers. Uh, so uh, speaking of the costumes in the film, historians, costume historians of the period from the 1920s have said that the costumes in the film are not authentic at all. Uh, but instead, <laughs> modernized versions of the 1920 era's fashion made to look more like modern fashion. Most prominently, the women were clothed to emphasize their breasts, such as Daisy's push-up bra, in contrast to the flat-chested fashions of the era. While the book was set in 1922, the movie uh, included fashions from the entire decade, which this is not uncommon yeah. with, with film. Uh, used fashions from the entire decade of the 20s and even the 30s. Many of the fashions were from archives, from concepts, from runways and fashion magazines that were never actually worn. So some of the stuff you see in the film is pulled from fashion style runway mm -hmm. stuff that was never actually, you know, like a common yeah. clothes. That Not like were a thing that real people were wearing yeah. in real life. It was just like 20s. runway fashion yeah. that they then turned into movie uh, attire. Uh, and then uh, Martin, who was uh, one of the... Um, who's the head like main costume designer from the movie said that she took the styles of the 1920s and made them sexier and was trying to interpret 1920s style for a modern audience, which is, I would say typically makes, how yeah. historical fashion, like costuming yeah. works. You take what people recognize and try to make that into something that will appeal to a modern audience. Yep. Uh, a photograph of the aforementioned Zelda, Fitzgerald, the wife of author of Scott Fitzgerald, can be seen in the film hanging on the wall of the apartment that Tom Buchanan, played by Joel Edgerton, shares with Myrtle Wilson, played by Isla Fisher. So look out for that uh, when you see Tom Buchanan, Tom and Myrtle's, not, yeah, Tom and Myrtle's apartment. Uh, there's a picture of Zelda on the wall, apparently. On the first day of shooting, Boz Lerman uh, filmed the scenes where Jay Gatsby, Nick, and Daisy have tea during a rainstorm. But since it was apparently a very beautiful spring day when they were filming this, Lerman had to use 100,000 liters of water to create the downpour scene in the film. Immediately after filming this scene, it then rained for the next three days. Of course it did. <laughs> that, if that's not filmmaking to a T, I don't know what is. Both this film and the earlier adaptation from 1974 both won the Oscar for Best Costume Design at the Academy Awards, mm. despite being not historically accurate, <laughs> as we have learned. And now a couple critical uh, comments on the film. Joe Morgenstern of the Wall Street Journal felt that the elaborate production designs were a misfire and likened, likened the film to the Roaring Twenties themselves as Fitzgerald envisioned and criticized them, stating that what is, quote, intractably, intractably wrong with the film is that there's no reality to heighten. It's a spectacle in search of a soul, end quote. 
The Chicago Reader Review felt, quote, Lerman is exactly the wrong person to adapt such a delicately rendered story, and his 3D feature plays like a ghastly Roaring Twenties blowout at a sorority house, end quote. In The Atlantic, Christopher Orr observed that, quote, The problem is that when the movie is entertaining, it's not Gatsby, and when it's Gatsby, it's not entertaining, <laughs> end quote. You know, I I have to say about that first that first quote you gave, uh, what is irretractably wrong with the film is that there's no reality to heighten. It's a spectacle in search of a soul. It's a spectacle in search of a soul. I feel like is actually a really good, like feels like maybe feels he like it. maybe feels he like nailed, maybe nailed like, it. <laughs> like a synopsis of of what Fitzgerald's works were doing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> with with that with that era. And so maybe the film kind of got it. Maybe who knows? We'll see if we agree or disagree. Uh, a couple positive reviews included A.O. Scott of the New York Times saying that, quote, the adaptation was a lot of fun and, quote, less a conventional movie adaptation than a splashy, trashy opera, a wayward, lavishly theatrical celebration of the emotional and material extravagance that Fitzgerald surveyed with fascinated ambivalence. He went on to say, quote, the best way to enjoy the film is to put aside whatever literary agenda you are tempted to bring with you, end quote. All right, noted. <laughs> I thought I'd include that review because it made me chuckle. So uh, that was all I got uh, about the film. Um, it, it should be interesting. Uh, where can the folks watch it? Well, as always, you can check with your local library. Or if you still have a local video rental store, Indeed. check with them. Barring either of those options, you can stream it with a subscription on HBO Max, HBO through Prime, normal HBO, or DirecTV. So it sounds like it's on HBO, yeah. and anywhere you can get HBO, you can watch it there. Uh, or you can rent it for about 3 or $4 from Apple TV, Amazon, YouTube, Vudu, AMC Theaters on Demand, Redbox, or DirecTV. Fantastic. I didn't say it ahead of time because I didn't want to do it, but this is the one I wanted to talk about the most personally because uh, mm -hmm. I didn't want to influence the poll. But um, this was the one mainly because I really wanted to see this movie. I thought it looked really yeah. interesting. Neither of us have ever seen it. No. I actually don't know if I've seen I, any adaptation. I actually like ba Baz Luhrmann's movies oh, yeah. a lot. So I, I remember enjoying Romeo and Juliet, and I think I I don't remember if I've seen Moulin Rouge or not. I haven't seen any of the other ones. I, I love Moulin Rouge. You know, I was a theater yeah. kid in high yeah. school, so of course I love Moulin Rouge. Um, I really like Romeo and Plush Juliet. Yeah. Uh, and Strictly Ballroom is actually like a childhood favorite yeah. of mine. My mom watched it all the time when I was little. Fair enough. I uh, yeah I I I did like Romeo and Juliet for what I it's it's weird but it's interesting and I think it's kind of a fun little like time capsule of a film, um, and and it, with really good performances because Leo's good in everything and and uh, mm -hmm. what's what's her name Claire Danes Claire Danes is really good in it. Uh, oh, and the guy who plays Mercutio, I remember really liking him. Yeah. I can't remember that actor's name now. Um, anyways, I remember liking that movie. And so I am looking forward to seeing this. Uh, I also really liked when I read, I, I thought I, I remembered enjoying the great Gatsby more than 
some of the novels I read in high school. Mm -hmm. Not like loving it, but remember liking it more than some others. (laughs) Like (laughs) I remember being like, yeah, that was interesting. And like I remember we sat and talked a lot about like thematically what was going on in it and stuff. And I remember finding that interesting. And so I remember enjoying the novel. You know, I I do think that and we can talk about it more in the episode, but I do think that generally this novel is maybe a little bit more accessible yeah. than some other things that, that you read in high school. And maybe that's what it was, yeah. Um, like, I also read The Grapes of Wrath. Yeah, I read The Grapes of Wrath. In high school, and, then, and talk oh, about no. not accessible. Oof. Like, woof. We're sitting there, okay, we've got another chapter about a turtle. <laughs> Right, that's the yes, only thing. That's I the one about the, with the turtle. <laughs> that's yep. like the thing. The turtle is like the American, like yeah. It's I remember, yeah. I remember being like, all right, this is yep. I'm. I mean, I get. Well, this is five hundred pages of something. Yep, and I'm like, uh, yeah. I think I would probably enjoy it more now, but I remember at the time being like, okay, turtle yep. represents a th- okay, great. But I think the thing with Gatsby. One, it's fairly short, yes, especially in comparison to some other things you read in school. Um, and it also is kind of like splashy, trashy, like, yeah, it's like pulpy it's, and final yeah, it's got and a that, that air of like pulpiness and like, um, and especially when we were in high school, that kind of like almost reality TV like voyeurism yeah, element to it. Does. it. It does for sure. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I'm really looking forward to watching it this time. I'm still trying to decide if I think I'm going to have time to try to read it <laughs> and and do an episode where we just both talk about it. Cause I have read it before, yeah. um, but I am going to be out of town working for a few days. So I don't know if I'm going to have time to read it or not. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to think on it. It'll be a surprise when we get to the episode, whether <laughs> or not I also read it or if just Katie read it and then I watched it. Um, but yeah, either way, we'll see. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And, uh, the other ones who did lose out on the poll, we'll mention, we'll probably get to them eventually. Yeah, we will get to them. I, I do really want to revisit the outsiders at some point because I, that was like, I loved that book when we read it in middle school and like for a long time, like through all of high school, if you'd asked me what my favorite book was, I would have said the outsiders. That's really interesting. Yeah. And I haven't read it since then. So I was kind of like. That like that's one of the I was kind of hoping for because yeah. I was kind of like I would like to revisit that and try to figure out what it was about it that appealed to me yeah. so much yeah. during that time in my life. Um, I would like to just read it if we yeah. when we do it eventually because it's one I missed. Like I said, if for mm-hmm. whatever reason wasn't assigned in one of my classes, and I just never read it. So I would like to read it eventually, but. And and as far as To Kill a Mockingbird goes, I know a lot of people really wanted To yeah. Kill a Mockingbird, um, and. I would like to cover that at some point. Obviously, we will. It's yeah. also a perennial American classic, yeah. and as is the film. Yeah. Um, I I am. I will admit, I'm a little relieved that we're not <laughs> doing that one because, uh, I just started a new job. Yeah. And I'm kind of trying in the process of figuring that out. Um. And I don't have as much time right now to mm-hmm. devote to one reading it, yeah, because it's longer. It's, a, it's, it's longer yeah. than the other two options, and two, there are a lot of elements to that book yeah. that I notably like racial elements. Yeah, that I think require. That I think deserve yeah. more time yeah. put towards researching them and figuring out 
the correct way to talk about yeah. them than I have to devote to yeah. it right now. It's definitely a book that uh, yeah, it's going to take some. It, it, it definitely would. It's going to require more, like you said, the sort of some time and research to kind of sit and 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 figure out how to talk about some of the elements of it, thematic elements of mm-hmm. it, and its place in history and what you know. Wh- you know, because there's elements of it that haven't aged amazingly, mm-hmm. but but it is still a classic and it is still um, it was right. kind of progressive for its time, but also hasn't, you know, or maybe right. wasn't. I actually don't know. I'm saying that it might not. Well, have been, but I it, think the I think the thing with To Kill a Mockingbird is that I want to be able to devote time to reading what black people have to yeah. say about it yes. before we talk about it. I want to be able to vote, to devote time to that um, so that I can also have like recommendations for people to look at, to get other perspectives on it. And I also want to be able to devote more time to looking at it within its historical context, yeah. because I think that's really important yeah. as well. Yeah, we're fine dunking on rich white people with <laughs> zero back, with zero, <laughs> zero additional research. So we can just talk about yeah the uh, the extravagance of the twenties and the death of the American dream. We can, which does well feel particularly in. poignant yep. right now. Yes, it does. So, yeah, that should be fun. Uh, We hope everybody's excited about The Great Gatsby. We'll be talking about it in one week's time. Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary pals, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And and keep keep being awesome. awesome.